spooky day to you all. Thank you so much for stopping by making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes, of course, are courtesy of the awesome Bobby Mackey. And I'm, of course, your host, Tessa Morrow. Last week, you heard about the official victims linked to the curse of the King Tut tomb and the excavation itself. Now, in this special part two, you are going to hear about victims connected, but that you don't really hear much about. And oh yeah, besides King Tut, there are several other Egyptian tomb curses, warning people to stay the hell away. Access denied. Now, before we dive back into these tombs and pyramids, I'd like to share a short clip my friend David Libby who has been to Egypt, shared with me. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. It's been 40 years, and I can still feel the heat from the desert sand on my face. As I stood in this ancient land, I looked ahead in amazement, for before me laid one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the pyramids of Giza. I closed my eyes and imagined what it must have been like when they were being built the infusion of tens of thousands of people with one sole purpose of creating this treasure for pharaohs and gods. Being so long ago when I was a young man standing before this ancient marvel, now today remembering its wonders like it was yesterday, for it has become part of my soul and stays with me a lifetime. So first of all, big shout out to David Libby for sharing that with us. I never have actually known anybody who's gone to Egypt before. So I thought that was really cool when he was like, hey, I've been there. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I have to say, I love the sound effects that are for free right now as the thunder is just crazy out there. So I don't know if you, as soon as you hear, and the cat, but as soon as you hear David start talking, you hear the in the background. So spot on thunder, spot on. Dr. John Kinnaman goes to the excavation site. When he arrives in Egypt, he's in perfect health. By the time the doctor arrives back to the United States, he is more than extremely ill. He checks himself into Madison Sanitarium located in Tennessee. He was told by doctors and staff, We can't do anything more for you, but I am going to pray for you. The doctor refused to believe that he was part of the alleged curse. He believed his mysterious illness was caused by a unique poison that the holy priests of the pharaohs would place in the tombs. Once the tombs were complete and everyone but the dead were out, the priests would then sprinkle and scatter around a poison over everything. The intention was that if intruders came in the sealed tombs, they would inhale the poison? and die. During this time, hemlock, opium, and arsenic were just a few things that were already in use. It's possible it could have been one of these, but who really knows for certain? No one. Another victim is Joelle Wood, a British industrialist who visited the tomb. Upon returning back to his home in England via ship, he dies from an extremely high fever. Remember in last week's episode in part one, where I talk about one of the victims, Richard Bethel. 
A quick recap, he was George Herbert, the financer of the excavation secretary. And he was found mysteriously smothered in a gentleman's club in London. I mentioned that he would not be the only Bethel to die. Well, a few months after Richard Bethel Jr. dies, his father, Richard Bethel Sr., commits suicide by jumping from the seventh floor of his apartment. He left behind a suicide note. I really can't stand anymore. Hardly see what good I'm doing here anyway. I really cannot stand any more horrors and hardly see what good I am going to do here. So I'm making my exit. How eerie is that? Apparently his apartment was filled with Tut's artifacts. Artifacts that his son, the late Richard Bethel Jr. had given to him. And get this, on the way to the cemetery to bury Sr., the hearse accidentally runs over a young boy. Yet another victim. Next is Arthur Cruttenden Mace, who worked close with Howard Carter, the discoverer. Mace helped remove the shroud from King Tutankhamun's body. The longer he stays in Egypt, the sicker he is getting. He has to end up retiring from the huge project prematurely as he's deeply concerned about his health. He never recovers, and years later, he falls into a deep coma and never comes out of it and he eventually dies. Autopsy reports show that he died from arsenic poisoning. He dies at the same hotel as George Herbert. November 11th, 1925, at the Anatomical Institute of Cairo University, Tut's corpse is being autopsied on. Two of the scientists who conduct this autopsy, Alfred Lucas and Professor Derry, will soon become part of the infamous curse. Look out! Alfred Lucas dies from a heart attack shortly after, and Professor Derry, well, he dies from circulatory collapse. Up to this point, for three years since the discovery of King Tut's tomb, many people had dismissed the so-called curse, but... This was kind of a wake-up call and turned many skeptics into believers. In 1962, Dr. Ezidin Taha, a physician and biologist at Cairo University, and two of his colleagues, they hold a press conference as he had been looking into a theory of what could have really killed all of these people. His answer? Fungus. He cannot explain all the deaths, and he admits that, but he's still convinced that this is not a curse. That's just plain goofy. This discovery has once and for all destroyed the superstition that explorers who worked in ancient tombs have died as a result of some kind of curse. They were victims of morbific agents at work. Some people may still believe that the curse of the pharaohs can be attributed to some supernatural powers, but that belongs to the realm of fairy tales. Little did Taha know, but soon he too would become part of the curse of King Tut. That very same day, after the conference, Taha and his colleague friends, they're driving not too terribly far from Cairo. It's a simple, straight road, and barely anybody's on it. Soon, 
a car approaches them on the opposite side of the road. Suddenly, without reason, Taha's car swerves violently to the left and right into the oncoming vehicle. Every single one of them, the three, they die instantly. The people in the other car are injured, but they survive. The autopsy reports the cause of death being circulatory collapse. Fast forward 43 years after the discovery of the tomb. A man named Muhammad Ibrahim agrees for some of Tut's prized tomb possessions to be sent to Paris for a special event. Soon after an agreement is made, Muhammad's beloved daughter, well, she's in a horrible car accident and is seriously injured. He had dreams that he would experience the same thing his poor daughter just went through, and he desperately tries to halt the travel plans for the ancient Egyptian artifacts, but he's unsuccessful. He's hit by a car, and bam, he dies two days later. Who knows how many other victims there are, from suicides to illness to freak accidents, so many indeed died while others experienced freak floods and fires. So, is King Tutankhamun's tomb really cursed? Remember the eerie warning they found within his tomb. I will kill all of those who cross this threshold into the sacred precincts of the royal king who lives forever. They who enter this sacred tomb shall swift be visited by the wings of death. Some think a big fat no. But others 100% believe it is to be true. There is a curse. I mean, it's no surprise I love graveyards, cemeteries, any type of burial ground. I've said that a million times, and I'll probably say it again. I like to visit them. I do not like to dig up the remains. I personally believe that once someone is buried, that's the way it should stay. Have we not seen Pet Cemetery, my friends? Come on. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Look at King Tut. The dude was put in four caskets and three coffins and in a hidden chamber where you had to pass through an antechamber that had thousands of items you had to move to get to him. I mean, it was no easy feat. Obviously, he's no longer in his tomb. Hasn't been since 1922. He's currently on display for all to see at the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. Do I feel these people should have unearthed a 3,000-year-old body, king or not? No, I don't think they should have. Do I think they should have paid the price with death? No, no, I don't think they should have. Do I think this is an actual curse or some other reasonable explanation for all these piled-up deaths with people connected to the excavation of King Tut's tomb? I'm an open-minded person and have seen a lot and I have experienced a lot. I believe items can be cursed, sure. Yeah, I can honestly say that I believe in the curse of King Tut. And Tut's not alone. There's several other pharaoh tomb curses. Mustava of Kanthika Aikiki's tomb warns. As for all men who shall enter this my tomb in pure, there will be judgment, and it shall be me for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. Whoa, 
That dude was not messing around, am I right? Meanwhile, the tomb of Senenmut has a curse written on the wall. His lifetime shall not exist in Earth. Simple, short, and right to the point. While others are a bit more drawn out and uh, more than extremely specific. Such is the case with Amenahotep tomb. This curse reads... Lose their earthly positions and honors, be incinerated in a furnace and execration rites, capsize and drown at sea, have no successors, receive book tomb of funerary offerings of their own, and their bodies would decay because they will starve without sustenance and their bones will perish. Meanwhile, at the Midum Pyramid, etched on the wall is this eerie threat. The spirit of the dead will wring the neck of a grave robber. Was if they were that if a goose. So crazy story about this particular tomb. When this tomb was discovered, they found two bodies. Now it didn't say the spirits of the dead. It said the spirit of the dead. There's supposed to be one person in that tomb. One was a mummy who was indeed the owner of the tomb, while the other was remains of a grave robber, and I kid you not, who appeared to be killed by a stone which plummeted from the ceiling as he tried to reach for the dead man's jewelry. And they did that. They put things up where they would fall on you if you tried to get something. So I thought that was really interesting. That was a pure justice right there. Karma's a bitch, my friends. Don't steal from the dead. And yet another curse. The tomb of Angtifi warns. Any ruler who shall do evil or wickedness to this coffin, may Heman not accept any goods he offers, and may his heir not inherit. Then there's the tomb of Hermeru. I shall seize his neck like a goose. This particular tomb has a stairway that descends to an open court where a gorgeous chapel is carved into the rock, below ground level, of course, and it includes two fake doors and two chambers. Many believe that one of these chambers was for a wife. And here's the tomb of Penot. He will be miserable and persecuted. His tomb is open to the public. Do you dare enter? Access granted. Make him with misery and persecution, but, you know, to each their own. And here's another one. Uh, which is very specific, coming from the tomb of Saranput I. As for every mayor, every wap priest, every scribe and nobleman who shall take the offering from the statue, his arm shall be cut off like that of this bull, his neck shall be twisted off like that of a bird, his office shall not exist, the position of his son shall not exist, his house shall not exist in Nubia, his tomb shall not exist in the necropolis, his god shall not accept his white bread, his flesh shall belong to the fire, his corpse shall not be on the ground. I shall be against him as a crocodile in the water, as a serpent on earth, and was an enemy of the necropolis. So, yeah, pretty specific. One of the most bizarre is known as the donkey curse. Violators will be raped by a donkey. And that's just to name a few. Then there's incidents where more than weird and unexplained things happened at other tombs and excavation sites. In 1699, a Polish traveler buys two mummies in Alexandria, quite the souvenirs if I do say so myself, and went on a boat with the mummies in tow. 
The man was a bit terrified as he kept having these horrible reoccurring visions of two specters that would simply just not leave him alone. Hmm. Put two and two together. I have two mummies. I have these two ghosts who just like won't leave me alone. Hmm. Well, the boat ride was more than challenging. The boat continuously rocked back and forth and side to side quite violently. They kept getting caught in waves and it was anything but a calm ride. Eventually, the mummies are tossed overboard, and once this happened, the sky cleared up, waters became calm, everything was fine then. And in more recent years, in March of 1971, men were digging 20 miles away from Cairo at Sakhara. Walter Brian Emery, the head of this excavation, finds a little statue of the Egyptian god Osiris. He takes it with him to this small house in the village. Whether this is his house or not, I'm unsure about that. But what is known is that he walks into the bathroom and suddenly his assistant hears moaning. This is what the assistant wrote in the report. I sat here on the couch. Suddenly I heard a moaning coming from the washroom. I looked through the door, which was ajar, and I saw Emery holding on the basin. Are you sick? I called out. But the professor did not reply. He stood there as if paralyzed. I grabbed him by the shoulders and dragged him onto the couch. Then I ran for the telephone. He was indeed paralyzed. At the hospital, he was diagnosed with paralyzation on his right side, and he died the very next morning. The day after his death, a Cairo newspaper, Al-Aham, reports this. The strange occurrence leads us to believe that the legendary curse of the pharaohs has been reactivated. In 2004, a German man visiting Egypt steals a relic from the Valley of the Kings, brings it back home to Germany, where he suddenly gets very ill with a high fever. He then eventually, like Emery, becomes paralyzed, and he dies shortly after. His stepson was sure that this Egyptian relic had something to do with his stepdad's untimely death. He wanted no part of it, and he takes this stolen piece to Egypt's Supreme Council of Antiquities. In returning this relic, he prays the stepfather can now rest in peace. The man also sends a letter apologizing for the theft. Even though he had nothing to do with it, he just wanted to rid himself from the whole thing. And seriously, who could blame the man? Zahi Hawass is a famous Egyptologist. He came up several times throughout my research of curses in Egypt in general. He's still very much alive. Seems like he's managed to stay out of the curses path. Or has he? He's had many strange things happen to him and those he loves. As a young man, he excavated Kom Abu Bios and helped transport several of the ancient artifacts. On the day this occurred, his cousin dies suddenly. The first anniversary of the death and excavation, his uncle dies. And on the third anniversary, his aunt dies. To the day, not one day after, or not one day before, but to the day. That, my friends, is creepy. Several years later, he would excavate tombs of the men who built the pyramids. At Giza, he saw this curse written on the walls. All people who enter this tomb, who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it, 
May the crocodile be against them in the water and snakes against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in the water, the scorpions on land. Now, maybe it was him reading this curse or something else, because at this time, he decided not to disturb the mummies. Later on, he would remove two child mummies. He admits that after doing this, he was haunted by the two children in his dreams, and they did not leave him alone until they were reunited with their father once his mummified remains was also brought to the museum where his children were. And it wasn't all haunts and deaths of family members. He has a long history with Egypt. 74 years and counting, actually. He was born in a small village in Egypt. Well, one day he was at the Egyptian museum when he saw a terminally ill child walk up to the king, Amos I. The child looked deep into the eyes of the mummy, and it seemed almost immediately he was cured from his deteriorating illness. Leaving Egypt and heading to Manchester, a museum has strange happenings occurring when they take in an Egyptian statue. And I remember seeing this in the news a few years back. This particular special piece would rotate 180 degrees in three days' time. Every three days, this would happen. And it was locked up in a display where nobody had access to it. The only person who would touch this piece particularly was the museum's curator. And that was just to move it back to its original position. The museum staff did a time-lapse video to try to figure out exactly who or what was responsible. And when they watched, sure enough, it was all by itself. It was moving all on its own. Nobody was there. Nobody was near it. It was never messed with. Now, supposedly, a mummy was on the Titanic. Now, in some articles, I see this actually happened. While there's a couple that say, hey, this is false. It's bullshit. It did not happen. I just don't know. So I'll call it a story and you can judge it for yourself. So the Titanic, on her fateful voyage, she carried 2,223 passengers, 12,000 bottles of mineral water, 7,000 sacks of good old cup of joe, 40 tons of potatoes, potatoes, however you want to say it, and we all know what happens. 1,517 people die. Story is that Lord Canterville requested the mummy be sent from England to New York. The body was that of an ancient Egyptian prophetess. With her was an amulet with a figurine of Osiris, and inscribed on it was this. Awake from the swoon in which you sleep, and a glance of your eyes will triumph over everything that is done against you. Some think that the captain, Edward J. Smith, looked into her eyes. And unlike the little boy who was sick looking into the king's eyes, something else happened. We just don't know. So jumping back to the curse of the pharaohs, was it really a curse? Maybe, maybe not. There are many theories one is that a deadly fungus was in the tombs that grew throughout the centuries and was released once it was unsealed. 
air samples taken from an unopened sarcophagus. They drill a hole to test the air quality, and the test came back with high levels of, get this, hydrogen sulfide, ammonia, and formaldehyde. They were all found and high, like high, like think Cheech and Chong high or like a kite high. In Tutankhamun's case, and probably others too, some believe that the food and drink that was left behind in the tombs were kept well-preserved, but decayed through time and grew toxic molds and what have you. And of course, as mentioned earlier, the priests scattering poisons throughout the tombs. And speaking of poison, I can't do an episode about ancient Egypt and not mention Cleopatra. She was very much a enthusiast when it came to poisons, and she often tested them out on her slaves and prisoners. Everyone pretty much feared her, including her own lover, Mark. In fact, he had a taster to ensure that she would not poison him. If his test taster was not present, he would simply not eat or drink anything that came from her. She found this to be, I don't know, extremely insulting, but with her track record, who could blame the guy? I would have done the same thing. I wonder how much that dude got paid. Um, hey bro, try this bread. It may kill you, but you know, it might not. <laughs> so one night she yanks a flower from her hair and she throws it into a glass of wine and she hands it to Mark and basically tells him, hey, to prove your love to me, you better drink this. He takes the glass and he starts to bring it to his lips as his taster had already drank from that particular glass. Before he could even take a sip, she takes it away, calls over a prisoner, hands it to him. He takes a sip and drops dead where he stands. Cleopatra looks at her lover and she says, I poisoned the blossomer. I only wanted to show you that if I had the desire to, I could kill you despite your taste. Yikes. Okay, poor Mark. <laughs> oh boy, don't know how that ended, but you know, couldn't have been good. So Egypt, I've always wanted to go there. So much history, just so much pure beauty. It's like all of Egypt is a museum full of amazing artifacts, antiques, tombs, what have you. Who knows? Maybe someday I will go, as it's forever been on my bucket list. A big shout out to my voiceovers. Casey Morrow. JC Salazar. Kevin Paul. Thomas Jane. Steve Kawamura. Adrian Romero. Bryce Kolb, Jerry Polly, Justin Dean, Kim Libby, George Grant, Angie Velasquez, my mom Kimana, and David Libby. Double shout out to David for sharing his Egyptian experience as well. Did you enjoy? This week's episode. Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single episode yet. 
No need to cry. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those podcast platforms such as Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, Apple Podcast, wherever you may roam. To listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Arlington, Texas, Goreville, Illinois, East Lansing, Michigan, Corvallis, Oregon, and Waimalu, Hawaii. Thank you so much, you guys. It's super appreciated. Come see me next week, Monday, new episode coming out as always. Throw me an email at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com if you would like to be a voiceover in a future episode. Or if you have a spooky idea for a subject for a new episode. I'm all ears. I love recommendations. See you next week.